Welcome to the Maker's Playbook, the podcast where we talk all about what it's really like to make a living from the things you make. I'm your host, Rebecca Ikeskara. Hello, my friends. We are back for week two of our month-long photography tips extravaganza. I'm not going to lie. I realized I kind of love the word extravaganza. You can't just say it normally. It's too much fun to say. And yes, I feel a little bit like Will Ferrell in Elf. Ooh, that's fun to say. (laughs) Okay, okay. Anyway, I am so excited for this month because I know how many hours you can waste searching around on YouTube for photography tutorials only to feel like they don't apply to you whatsoever. When everyone is using a landscape photo as an example of how to get an accurate exposure, how the heck are you supposed to figure out how that applies to taking photos of pots? Am I right? This entire month is devoted specifically to tips and tricks for ceramicists and makers when it comes to the struggles of photographing your work. That's it. No generic photography tutorials that don't apply to your needs. Last week, we talked about what actually makes for a good photo. Leaving room, of course, for your own personal style preferences, we discussed how to harness a few key basic principles of photography to get started on creating more consistent images. I'll be honest, it's not often I get asked that question. What makes for a good photo? But when someone recently asked me that on Instagram, it cut to the core. I realized that's probably the most honest question I've been asked in months, and it was the perfect foundation to build the rest of this month's tips on. So now, week two of this extravaganza brings us a question I get asked in one form or another, literally once a week. Can I take good photos without a real camera? Also asked as, what camera should I buy to have better photos? And a close cousin to this question is, I don't have a swanky kitchen or a gorgeous studio or insert whatever other space here to take photos in. How am I supposed to make them look as nice as the ones I see online? They all can be summed up as, Can I take good photos without, and then insert whatever it is you feel like you don't have. Here's the spoiler cliff notes of this entire episode. Yes, yes, you can take good photos without a fancy new camera, without a swanky kitchen or a sunlit studio. Yes, you can take good photos without spending hundreds of dollars on props and whatever else. How? Well, let's talk about it. The kind of camera you have matters far less than you think. At its core, good photography predominantly depends on the lighting. And secondly, on the composition. You can take a photo with a professional camera you spent $5,000 on, but if the lighting is bad, that camera isn't going to solve everything. On the flip side, with the right lighting, you can take a photo with a cell phone and blow it up on a billboard. You've seen this happen. It's those big old Apple ads that say, shot on iPhone. Yeah, it's not the phone that made that a great photo. It's the person behind the phone that knew what they were doing. So first and foremost, you do not need a particular kind of camera to take great photos. The good news, I just saved you thousands of dollars. The more difficult news to hear It means there's a few new skills you might need to learn in practice. 
But don't worry, I have a system for that. I've got your back. If you tuned in last week, you heard about the fact that I'm hosting a couple of upcoming webinars specifically about the most common mistakes I see happening with people's photography online and how to avoid those mistakes. These mistakes are happening regardless of whether or not you're using a cell phone or a regular camera. I'm obviously going to dig into the questions I first mentioned at the start of this episode. The, can I take a good photo without a professional camera, a fancy setting, etc., etc. We're going to talk about that still in this episode. But if you're craving some visual examples to go alongside all of this photography talk, if you want a little time for live Q&A, then be sure to sign up for one of these free webinars at the link in the show notes. All right, so if it's not the camera that's the problem, then what is it? If you've never considered the angle or direction of the light you're using when taking photos, or heck, even thought about the light in general when you're trying to take photos of your work, then we absolutely need to start there. And you can start with a super simple, easy-to-use diagram I have in my at-home photography cheat sheet. You've heard me talk about this cheat sheet before. So you'll see in there that I recommend you start indoors with one window until you really harness the power of the angle of your lighting. Why indoors rather than outside? Well, because when your light is only coming through one window, it's a lot easier to be able to tell the direction of that light. When you're outside, it can often feel like it's coming from every direction, especially on an overcast day when the sun is diffused behind the clouds. If you're already a pro at understanding light and have been choosing the same angles intentionally over and over for a consistent look to your photos, there are many things we can do with a professional camera that I can't do with my cell phone. So if you're itching to spend some money, then here's my recommendations. First up, rent before you buy. In the U.S., a great company is borrowlenses.com. I'm sadly not sponsored or affiliated with them whatsoever. Although, feel free to suggest it if you do rent from them after this episode. You can read reviews from photographers for days and think you've chosen the perfect camera, but none of that means anything if you get it in your hands and it doesn't suit you. You want to make sure the physical structure of the camera fits well in your hands, the menu is set up the way you would expect it to be, and so much more you simply can't know until you start using it. You can rent cameras for as few as three days or as long as a couple of weeks. And I do the exact same thing with lenses as well. If you're ready to upgrade a camera, focus on getting a full frame sensor. I'm not going to bore you with the technical details of this, but let me sum it up by saying megapixels don't matter anymore. All right. If you're still asking about megapixels when buying a digital camera, you need to email me and we'll chat. Yes, this was a valid concern when digital photography first began, but these days, your phone camera has more megapixels than my first digital camera ever had. So don't get hung up on that. A full-frame sensor is going to separate the pro cameras from the amateur cameras. And to be frank, they have the price tag to match. But if you really want to upgrade, then that's where I'd focus your attention. That being said, more than likely, If you upgrade your lenses first, you might be surprised at how great that camera that you thought needed to be tossed out all of a sudden is looking. Buying a lens is like buying a diamond ring. There are some lenses that are cheaper because the glass used to make it isn't as high quality. 
Just like you can buy a diamond whose cut isn't as highly rated as others, but maybe it's bigger. If you buy a high quality lens to begin with, you're never going to have to replace it. Honestly, the technology of lenses doesn't really change all that much. I have lenses that are over a decade old, whereas my camera bodies generally go out of date within three or so years. Now, just to know, three or so years for me, because I'm a full-time professional using my camera heavily. You don't need to be upgrading your camera body every three years when you aren't shooting tens of thousands of images every year, all right? And one last note on buying a new camera before we move on to other tips for how to take better photos without a professional camera. There isn't a huge difference in brands anymore, especially if you're buying your camera predominantly to photograph your work, which, you know, is an inanimate object. You aren't worried about trying to capture your most recent vase running across the lawn in and out of the shade of a tree. When it comes to photographing your work, the nice, easier part of it is that you can completely create a controlled environment. I use a Canon camera because I learned on a Canon film camera decades ago. So my muscle memory is just used to how Canon sets up their cameras. Put an icon in my hands and it's like I've never held a camera before. Literally, everything is set up in the opposite direction. It is so annoying. Canon, Nikon, Sony. If you're looking at any of these major brands, they're all going to be fairly comparable. Yes, as a pro, I could nitpick apart their different strengths and weaknesses, but as the average user, and for what you're doing photographing your work as a maker, it's not such a big deal. All right, but remember with all of that, it's way less about the camera. So this is not to suggest that you have to go out and spend thousands of dollars on a new camera, okay? All right, so that answers the question of, can I take good photos without a real camera? Yep, yes you can, you totally can. You can do that because a great photo has more to do with great lighting than anything else. So click the link in the show notes to download my at-home photography cheat sheet and check out the diagram on page four all about the angle of light to get started taking better photos with something as simple as your cell phone. So now you might be asking yourself, okay, but I don't have a gorgeous kitchen or a quintessential English garden studio. How do I take lovely photos in my mess of a house? Well, my friends, this is where backdrops come into play. All of the photos you've seen me share have been taken in one of three locations. And none of those locations are a swanky photo studio. They've either been in my small city condo with a kitchen countertop or a dining room table full of stuff, stacks of magazines to be recycled, sourdough starter in a bowl waiting to be baked. Heck, at one point, our dining room was our ceramic studio. So there were plastic sheets everywhere and piles of recycling clay on plaster. Recently, we've been in between homes, and I've been photographing work at my parents' house, which, let's just say, is a completely different aesthetic than my city condo. So if I was using the actual spaces around me, everything would look completely different. In fact, I even did an entire shoot for a dishware commission that we recently finished in the basement here. And now, we're in the middle of moving going back and forth from my parents to our fixer-upper house in Milwaukee. And the operative word there is fixer-upper. 
We have half-painted walls, door frames with the trim pulled off, awaiting a fresh staining, boxes that are partially unpacked and stacked all around. It is a mess. But none of this matters because I use backdrops. Now, for my personal aesthetic, I want some texture in my backdrops. I don't just want them to be plain. So I use the slightly pricier replica surfaces. If you thought I had marble countertops and white subway tile in my kitchen, you would most definitely be wrong. But you didn't know that until I just told you, did you? But you don't have to spend $70 on a backdrop. You can apply the same principle for a few bucks, depending on the look that you want. In fact, one of our recent podcast guests, Rachel Russell, used to take all of her photos with these bright colored happy backdrops, which totally applied to her brand. And they were just poster board. It was just like cardboard, bright colors, the stuff that you can get from the office supply store or the dollar store for a couple of bucks, right? You could go buy a gray colored piece of poster board and an off cut of wood from your local hardware store. And all of a sudden you have a sleek modern farmhouse vibe. If you want a lot of different color options, buy some cheap plywood and paint each side a different color. Two sheets of plywood and four colors of paint later, you have a whole host of options. Pro tip, I'd make sure these self-made backgrounds are no less than two feet by two feet. And for those of you on metric, I'm going to leave you to do the adjustments on that. Both for the vertical backdrop part and the horizontal surface that you'll be setting your pieces on if you aren't using a table surface you already love. In fact, if you have the space, I'd make them four feet by four feet if you can. And choose as long of a horizontal surface, for example, your favorite table, if possible. The farther you can photograph your work from the backdrop, the better. Because here's another pro tip. When it comes to your backgrounds, whether you decide to make these simple, quick, and cost-effective ones or just keep shooting in your garden even, One of the fastest ways to uplevel your photography, even while using your cell phone, is to photograph your pieces farther away from the background. Having at least two or three feet between your pieces and your pot and the background is going to make your pot stand out more from the scene around it. This works whether you have a cell phone that has portrait mode or not. If you turn on portrait mode, the effect is just going to be that much greater. So regardless of your camera, And even regardless of what model of cell phone you might be using, you can cheat your way towards the effect of a professional camera by keeping more distance between your pot and your background. This is because of a technique called compression, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in the course that I completely announced way too early in last week's episode. If you want to know more about it, be sure to sign up for my upcoming webinars. The link for those is in the show notes. The beauty of utilizing backdrops is that you can set up these basic systems anywhere, which means regardless of where you are, a condo in the city, a temporary home, a messy studio, whatever, you can set up a photo station to look the same. More importantly, being able to set up your photo station anywhere means you can be sure to utilize the same angle of light to give yourself consistent looking photos. And if you've been following along with any of my photography tips for more than a week now, you know that consistency is one of the most crucial ways to give a more professional experience. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I just mentioned the angle of light, then be sure to download the at-home photography cheat sheet I talked about earlier in this episode already. 
The link is in the show notes, and on page four, there's a simple diagram that will explain this whole concept. Okay, so we've debunked two of the major questions I get asked all the time. Can I take good photos without a real camera, as well as the assumption that you need access to some swanky space to have gorgeous backgrounds in your photos? So what about the props? Because we've all seen those stunning East Fork photos with a full table laid out of pots and plates and food and gorgeous glassware and brass serving spoons. And uh, yeah, I drool over their production team resources just as much as you do, honestly. But cut yourself some slack. At the time of writing this episode, East Fork has over 60 employees. And frankly, I just lost count and stopped scrolling down their careers and job page when I got to 60. I know what I'm doing with a camera and still don't always have the time after every kiln unload to do a full-fledged production and styled shoot of every piece. On occasion, or for a particularly big commission, do I make the time? Absolutely. But even then, it's still simplified because I am a one-person photo team and a two-person ceramics team. You can still take gorgeous styled photos without a full production or hundreds of dollars in fancy props. In fact, one prop is all you need. And as you heard in last week's episode, that one prop can be exactly what you need to showcase the size and scale of your pieces anyway. Popping flowers into a vase and scattering a few extra stems around the table makes for a lovely display. Putting fresh fruit inside of a serving bowl and cutting open half of one orange to have laid to the side is the trick of not only giving scale to a large piece, but also helps a potential customer visualize using your work in their everyday life. One pot, one prop is the uh, clever little catchphrase I've come up with to remind many of my photography students to just de-stress when it comes to styling. And notice how none of these props are anything crazy to find or expensive to buy. Eat the fruit once you're done photographing it. When I styled some of my favorite wood fire stemless wine glasses with a bottle of rosé, I most definitely congratulated myself after a long day of shooting with a glass. Or two. (laughs) I've posted a couple of these photos recently on our Instagram, so have a look for some inspiration. And take note, these recent photos were taken using the exact step-by-step process I walk through in the at-home photography cheat sheet. Window light to the side, plus a fake backdrop, all at my parents' house in a room used for winter garden storage and a ton of glaze supplies at the moment. Just behind those backdrops is wood paneling that would have given a very different look to the photos. If you're interested in more visual examples than what I can obviously provide on an audio-only podcast, be sure you sign up for my upcoming webinar starting June 29th where I'm going to dig into some of the most popular mistakes I see other makers doing with their photography and how to avoid them. Click the link in the show notes to register for your preferred time and be sure to add it onto your calendar to tune in live because there are going to be some fun giveaways you won't have access to on the replay. If you're not sure where the show notes are located in your podcasting app, you can also find all these details at the website makers-playbook.com slash podcast and then just click on the thumbnail for this episode we have two more weeks of our photography tips extravaganza but if these first two episodes have brought up questions don't be shy feel free to send me an email at rebecca at makers-playbook.com and i'll be happy to chat more until next week go get back to making your dreams a reality because together we've got this